You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Today's scripture can be found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which is on page 977 in your pew Bible. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. So Lord, as we turn now to your word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be wholly acceptable to you. And Lord, even as I have some brief words to prepare this morning and ask you that even in its briefness and its brevity, you would still have a good word for our church. Lord, even more so that you would speak through our brother Paul as he comes to share uh, his incredible uh, story of your grace in his life as a testimony of what this text is really all about. So bless both myself and our brother Paul and uh, in in our whole church. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our uh, series, our vision series, focusing on the future that will soon be in joining with ECO, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians. And, and in order to do that, we're looking at the name ECO and talking about the significance and meaning uh, for ourselves individually, for your family, for our church, and indeed for our whole vision of, of, of the ministry and mission of the church. So, the first week was E for evangelical, then C for covenant, and today O for order. When you think of order, you might think of different things, but there's an idea of a religious order, communities of people who live in some well-ordered, structured way, set apart from society according to specific religious principles and practices. So, for instance, in Catholicism, that would include monks and nuns who live in a communal life in a monastery or an abbey or under a, a monastic order like the rule of, the, um, of Augustine, St. Augustine, or Benedict, or Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity. Now, we're, we are not becoming a, a Catholic denomination. We are joining a new Reformed Protestant denomination, but ECO understands order in very much a similar way as the historic churches understood it. As our common way of life, as we share in ministry and mission as covenant partners. So when we join ECO, uh, we, the members of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, will no longer refer to ourselves as members. When we think of a member, we think of a, of a member maybe of a club, or a member of a society, or a member of Costco. And we as a church really lift up the meaning of membership. We even have our covenant of membership we just read together. But ECO takes us a step further to say more than a membership, we are covenant partners. Meaning we have made a vow together 
that every one of us has gifts and abilities and talents and input in what is going to happen in the life of our church for the vision and the mission. So it's around shared theological core. Out of that core is how we will live together as believers. Ephesians gets to that very point in chapters 4 and following. So the book of Ephesians, which we preached on a number of years ago, but just for way of review, it can be divided into two halves. And our passage that Angela just read splits it right down the middle. The first half, Paul expounds on doctrine. Chapters 1 to 3 are about what God has done. His eternal plan of salvation and, and restoration, gathering all things under Christ uh, through his death and resurrection. And it's just this incredible expounding of, of great theological truths, the core of what we believe. Then the second half, Paul explains how Christians are then to live. How we're to live out this new reality in an ordered, committed way together in Christ. The, the key dividing word in our text, uh, if, if you go back, go back one. Therefore. Chapter 1 to 3, then therefore, here it is. So first three chapters, God has done all these amazing, amazing things to create a new humanity. Chapter 4, 5, and 6, therefore, live this way. Do this, don't do that. Go and live out your calling in gratitude to God. Not out of some kind of legalistic, we're going to earn our way to salvation. None of us could possibly do that or earn favor with God or earn righteousness. No, but out of hearts grateful for what Christ has done for us, we are now motivated to live in a new way. And right out of the gate, Paul reminds the Ephesians, this church in Ephesus, he reminds them he's in chains for the sake of them, for the ministry. And he says, in order to live this new life, this new ordered life, I can sum it up for you in one word. Unity. Paul says it's all about unity. It's something that we need to cultivate, that we need to protect. We need to build up the unity of the church, that that will be at the center of living this new life. But more than just giving us one boilerplate answer, he then goes on to help define that. How do we maintain unity in the bond of peace? That's how he words it. Same idea as unity. Paul gives us three attributes that we're to cultivate as the church. They are simply humil humility, gentleness, and patience. And I just want to touch on each of those very briefly because I want to save the bulk of our time uh, for this incredible testimony that, that Paul's going to share in just a moment. Uh, but let's just look at those briefly. What does it mean to be humble? He says, be humble. If we're experiencing unity as Christians, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. If we've come together as a church, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit here is that we will be a humble people. Now, humility is not being shy. It's not being a shy person. A humble person is one, it means not being so entitled. To be a humble person, a humble church means submitting ourselves to others with respect, with love, 
desire to, to build others up, even at our own expense and best interests. C.S. Lewis famously wrote in Mere Christianity, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Wonderful example of that is our worship service. It's right there in your bulletin. We have decided, the elders agreed years ago, we would be a church of a blended worship. We wouldn't divide the church over uh, one's personal interest and how God's wired you, and we respect that, that some people prefer one style of music over another or prefer one style of worship hour over another. We've decided as a church, no, we're going to bring the two together. And so if there's something that happens in the midst of the worship service that you don't particularly like, we've agreed together. We're going to be humble knowing this isn't really my cup of tea, but I know these others around me are really being drawn into God's presence by, by what they're experiencing right now. And so I'm just going to humbly accept that for the sake of their best interests. And that that's going to go both ways. I'm not going to roll my eyes or be frustrated or fold my arms anymore. I'm just going to accept that God's doing something in this diverse body of believers. And I want to humbly submit to this, this experience, trusting that, well, maybe in a few minutes, uh, the music might change, the key might change, hopefully the pastor will change what he's talking about, and that will speak to me. It will be humble. Second, he says, be gentle. Some translations will say meek. Now, 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 being gentle is not the same as being weak. We don't want anyone to feel like they're a, a doormat. It means dealing with other people with kindness and compassion. It means not demanding our way or being bullies or saying, well, this is the way we've always done it. You have to do it my way or get out of my church. No, being gentle means not being overly critical. It's about our heart attitude. Example of this that comes to my mind is the way our trustees have worked with uh, uh, the various tenants we have as, at our church. We have the Brazilians and the Spanish church in the afternoons on Sundays worshiping here. We have a, another church that worships on Thursdays. We have the before and after school shine program, camp sunshine all summer, the preschool, AA, NA, Boy Scouts, all these different groups using this place. And none of the trustees and leadership of our church say, this is ours. Get with the program. We all have said, let's partner with this. We want to be gentle with you, compassionate and kind. That's why we have all these signs everywhere. Trisha was here just to, just to like, let's bring it home to something practical. Our, our office manager, who normally would go home by 3.30, she was here until 8 o'clock uh, the other night to make sure that all those signs were up and that every tenant of Nielsville knew the plans for next week because we knew how much it would disrupt the ministries of others. That's what it means to be gentle. So we're to be uh, humble and gentle. And number three, patient. To be patient means to, to be tolerating of one another. To tolerate situations that, that might be difficult. Now we can be humble and gentle in the moment, but, but patience is something that has to grow and, and show itself as the fruit of the Spirit over time. To, to be patient in the midst of change. And surely, I think Paul would have in mind here, patience with people that get under our skin. Don't raise your hand. Let me just ask. 
Is there anyone at church that gets under your skin? Don't dare, don't look right or left. Paul says if, if we're to be Christ-like, if we're to, to live in a manner worthy of our calling, here are at least three ways that we can maintain and build up and hold to the unity of such a diverse group of people coming from so many different places and backgrounds to walk in a manner worthy of our calling to which all of us have been called. If we went around the room and shared our stories, just imagine, just look around, the diversity that's here in this space. How many of us could say, I was born and raised in Montgomery County, or say, uh, this is the, the, where I went to school, where I went to college, or uh, here's the size of my family, or this is how I'm employed. There'd be a huge diversity here huge different experience of our walk with the Lord. Each and every one of us would have a unique story and testimony. If Paul says what pulls us together, what, what's undergirding this unity isn't just a good vibe, isn't just a, well, we'll try hard. Okay, pastor, we're, we're going to really try hard to be uh, patient and humble and kind with each other. No, he goes on to say the unity of the church is rooted in God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he gives us these seven points that brings us together. What do we have in common? How many of us like the Steelers? Eh. How many of us like the, the other team of Washington? Eh. But what are the things that we do have in common? We are one body. We have one spirit. We have one hope, one Lord, one faith, and we have one baptism, and we have one God and Father of us all. One of the benefits of being united with Christ, receiving eternal life, receiving forgiveness of sins, is that we become citizens of his kingdom. And there are rights and duties of citizenship that we have as members of his kingdom and as strangers and aliens in a foreign land. So we are to be humble and gentle and a patient people living radically different than the world around us. And I want to share with you a living example of what this looks like. A man among us who, by God's grace, has shown tremendous humility and gentleness and patience, especially in the two months that he and his family have been ripped from our fellowship, in fact, from our shores. And so I'd like to invite Paul Kim to come forward, our candidate for ordination in ECO. He's going to come and get ready for this. Get ready to hear an incredible story. I'm building you up, Paul, as you're walking up here, of God's grace in your life. You got it. Well, it's before noon, so I say, good morning, America. <laughs> I'm in church. <laughs> um, well, well, before I share, I don't know if everybody knows my story, but before I share my story or what has happened to, uh, recently happened to me and my wife or my family, uh, I want to say thank you so much. I want to express my appreciation for your prayer and support. And I want to say your prayer, uh, brothers and sisters, your prayer has been answered. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Amen. So uh, for those of you who um, uh, may not know my stories, I'm going to share a little bit um, what has happened. Uh, so I came to America back in 1997. Um, so I studied, uh, I went to high school, college, and seminary, and I did my second master's degree in Johns Hopkins uh, with uh, counseling. So I've been studying over almost, 
what, uh, 16 to 17 years now. Um, my family, they're in Korea, and uh, I came here by myself when I was 16, and I got married to my wife, Jocelyn, and I brought her to uh, Korea to here. And two children, Evan and Evelyn, uh, they both were born here. So they're a U.S. citizen. So I graduated um, from Johns Hopkins last May, May tw uh, 23rd. And um, uh, this morning I talked to Do uh, Doris, uh, one of us, one of our um, elder uh, deacons. She knows the, this situation very well, Doris, right? <laughs> so um, I studied with F1 visa, which is student's visa. So once I graduated, the government grant, grant F1 visa holder 60 days of grace period, meaning once you graduated, within 60 days we want you to get a job or you have to be out of this country. So my grace period ends last uh, July 22nd. And I got a job uh, offer from uh, Adventist Healthcare as a psychotherapist last March, even before, my, uh, even before I graduated. And um, once I graduated, there was 60 days of all this process to be done. So um, the hospital, they, they have their own lawyer who's gonna uh, represent my case. And she, she knows the story, she, she's the lawyer, so she knows that the file has to be, um, uh, that my case has to be filed before uh, July 2nd, uh, July 22nd. Um, so I was communicating with the hospital and the hospital was communicating with this lawyer and the hospital said that uh, sh sh the lawyer will contact you uh, before all this happened, but I never got an uh, email from her or never got a phone call. And time was coming up, and that week was the week of the VBS. I don't know if you remember. So I served from Monday to Wednesday, and on Thursday I fly out to Salt Lake City because I, I was um, I, I was scheduled. Those scheduled for me to uh, lead the uh, college group retreat for the Korean church. So I was there on Thursday, um, and Friday, uh, which the, the first day of the retreat, uh, that was actually 21st of July. Am I, am I right? I think July 21st. So I was a little anxious in the morning because I didn't get, hear anything from the lawyer. I, th I thought maybe she, was, she filed my case. So I, I tried to email her, but I, got actually, I, got, I actually got a phone call from her in the morning. And she told me, uh, Young, this is who, and uh, I'm representing your case, but your, your, your application was not, was not able to be filed. Um, she was gone a couple weeks for her vacation that I wasn't able to contact with her. And I told her, um, so what's the option? And she said, um, there's two things. One, uh, it might be better for you to go back to Korea now, or maybe you can just stick around, maybe another two or three weeks. Then I told her I'll be out of status, meaning I'll be overstayed. In other words, I'll be illegal. And she said, yeah, but you know, it's just two or three weeks, and we'll see how it goes. And I, I, was like, I wasn't sure about being undocumented, because being in this country for long, long enough for me, uh, I was smart enough that that wasn't the best choice. <laughs> so I actually gave a call to my friend in Boston, who's a um, Christian man, who's the um, elder of the church, and also he's the immigrant, immigration lawyer. So I tried to ask for his advice. And he, he, he said, Young Kwan, I could not even believe that what she has told you is so inaccurate. I'm, I can't even believe if she's an actual lawyer. 
Um, so there's only one option for you. you. You better leave the country before 22nd, which is the, the, the next day. I said, and I told him, so what do you think? How, how is it going to play out? And he said, okay, I'm not going to talk to you as a lawyer, but I'm going to tell you as a friend. Uh, you're, you're in a very tough situation. You're going to go back to Korea, but it's very least likely that you may be able to come back. Your visa is very, in very uh, there's no, he said about not even 10% that you might get accepted or approved. And I told him, the problem is I can't leave, I can't go back to Korea now, but my children, Evan and Evelyn, they don't have a passport. Although they're American, we never made the passport for them. So meaning that, and as you know, if you apply for the passport, it at least take two weeks. So what should I do? And he said, because you're the primary visa holder, you, you have to go. But Jocelyn may have to overstay, meaning she will be illegal for until uh, my children get passport. So actually Jocelyn overstayed for three days. And he said that um, because the fact that your wife overstayed gonna play against your case as well in, when you do the interview. But try to make a case that I, the visa holder, tried to work within the law. And here's the proof that we, my wife overstayed because of my children's passports. Um, so hearing that was not even comforting, right? So on that Friday, I came back to Baltimore and I got here at midnight, 22nd of midnight. And my Korean friend uh, from Korean church, about a group of people, they actually picked me up from Baltimore, picked us up from Baltimore and drove us to our home. And they helped me to pack a little bit of my stuff. But you, you always ha have a scenario when people say, what, what are you going to do if there's earthquake or your, your house is on fire? What's the, the last thing that you're going to grab, right? I was in that position because I only had four hours uh, to pack my stuff. And I was literally standing on my room in my house. And I wasn't sure what, what I need to bring back home because I wasn't sure if I'm going to come back here, right? So I grabbed my passport for sure. I didn't have a plane ticket, but my church member, they bought the ticket for me. And I just grabbed two underwear, <laughs> two shoes, I guess. I wasn't even sure what to grab. And I told Jocelyn, make sure that you get our children's passport and come back to me. Um, six o'clock in the morning of 22nd of July, uh, my friend drove me to uh, uh, Washington, D.C., the Dulles Airport. And they dropped me off. Um, I was sitting at the gate. And I was actually uh, um, opening up my wallet, and there was only $1 bill on my wallet. Because <laughs> I, I gave all my cash to Jocelyn uh, for, the, uh, uh, for, for their well-being. And I was sitting there, um, but inside of me there was anger coming up. I wanted to blame everything for this, this one person, this lawyer. And I, told, I, was, I was talking to myself, how could you do this to me? How can you let this happen to me and my family? I mean, I worked so hard last 20 years to get this, uh, uh, to come to this point, and now I'm living like this. And my anger to her was uh, speaking to God. I said, God, if you want me to go back to Korea and you want me to serve the people in there, I can do that. But this is not the way you want me to go back. At least I have to sell my car, pack my stuff, say goodbye to my friends, 
to the church and Pastor Pete and all my friends here. But this is not the way. I don't want to end my life like this here. Um, and suddenly God reminded me, really one person can ruin your life? Really? One person? And God was reminding me who I was and who I am. And at the same time, who he is. And I was sure that God is um, sovereign God and he, has the, he will make a way for me and my family. But at the same time, I, wasn't, uh, I was just devastated because the fact that I have to leave my family behind. Although I knew that they're going to come back to Korea within uh, three to four days. So at the airport, actually, Pastor Pete uh, sent me the text message. So, Paul, your case is in, right? Are you, are you in safe position? I said, well, matter of fact, I'm at the gate going back to Korea. I need your urgent prayer. Please pray for me. And I was, I was asking everybody, all my friends, to pray for me and for this difficult situation. And instantly, uh, tons of people just emailing me and testing me, testing me that they're, they're in prayers. And one of the person um, who sent me email was uh, my supervisor from um, Johns Hopkins. Um, she's actually um, uh, a dean of the, my program. And she said that um, uh, how sad she was because she thought um, none of the international students like me got a um, job offer. I was the first case. So actually, um, she shared my story for with um, a lot of international students as well, that she was very confident, but then the, she wasn't happy with the outcome. But she was the believer that she sent me this passage. And the scripture comes from Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. When, he, when she sent me this passage, I knew that God is in control, and I'm doing all this for his purpose, to glorify God. And also, I, wasn't, I was very sure that God wants us to be here, because it wasn't I, because um, I, wasn't, I wasn't nothing. I mean, I wasn't the best of the student. I wasn't uh, the qualified for this position, but God really provided. Um, so I knew, and... Um, uh, I don't want to even say that I'm humble, but because it's not coming up out of my humility, but I know who I am. I know uh, I'm lack of so many things that God is doing all these things for his purpose and for his glory. So I came back to Korea. I landed in Seoul on the next day, 23rd, on Sunday night. And my parents was picking me up at the airport, and my mom said, because they, they wasn't sure that I'm coming home. I actually texted them at the gate. And she said, what about your job? I thought you got hired. <laughs> I said, Mom, I'm still un un unemployed, and I need room. Do you have a room for me? She said, we always have a room for you. But when are you going back? I told her, the lawyer told me at least, it takes at least four months to six months so until next year, right? And um, I told her, don't worry, I'm going to work, okay? I'm going to work in Korea. I'm going to get a job in 7-Eleven or in convenience store, whatever I need to do, uh, we're going to survive. Um, and my dad said, uh, Young Kwan, think about this as a sabbatical. Probably God is granting you 
want you to rest. So have a good summer. And I said, okay, have a good summer. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to have a good summer. I never had a good summer. So I always worked or always studied. So I don't know. Um, however, though, um, leaving everything behind, uh, I still was, I, I was still devastated. And finally, um, Jocelyn and Evan and Evelyn, they came back uh, to Korea. Um, and it, started, it began our waiting, patient and waiting and patient waiting. But it's very interesting though. I got on Korea on Monday, uh, on Sunday, but on, the, on Monday, the next day, 24th, I got an email from the lawyer. And she said, the first line, she, it says, good news, everything will be okay. And I was like, good news, everything will be okay. What does that mean? But then she said, and she sent me the, the website that I need to check out. And it says, um, I'm applying for H-1B visa, which is the worker's visa, right? And last April, uh, President Trump put hold on this category that there's no fast track for these people. Uh, unless we really need these people, we're going to hire them or not, we're not going to give them a fast track. So all this H-1B visa process takes at least four to six months. But on Monday, somehow, uh, he ch God changed his mind or what? Uh, they resumed this case to be fast-tracked. So my case, I had to wait four to six months, but on Monday, they changed the law so that my case was approved within two weeks. So meaning the fact that this lawyer did not file my case was a good thing. Of course, she didn't do on purpose. She didn't know what she was doing, but... On God's timing, God knew the whole picture. So I actually thanked her that, thank you that you didn't file my case before 22nd. <laughs> now, I want you to file my case. She said, yes, I'm going to file your case right away. I'm going to file your case today. I didn't know what happened um, during I was gone. But on Saturday, the representative in the hospital, the whole HR department, and the vice president of the HR um, they, they made a good complaining uh, to her. Uh, she was actually, she got, she got an earful <laughs> from the hospital. Um, but the problem was though, uh, so within two weeks, uh, the, the immigration, the government, they approved my case within two weeks, which was the first good news. But the, the fact that I'm in Korea, there's another extra step, meaning with this approval letter, I have to go to U.S. Embassy to get an interview, to get a visa stamp. If all this process was happening in America, I didn't have to go through that second stamp, uh, step. But because I'm in Korea, even though my case was approved in America, the f in order for me to come back to country, I have to get a visa stamp. About 10 years ago, they changed the law. so that it's not just another step, a step but it, it, it's the step, it's the final step that I have to go through. Meaning before, if the immigration approved this case, then interview was just another step, right? Everybody will accept it. But now, the U.S. consul himself has the final say. And as you know, now it's a, a um, tricky situation, tricky time of year that many cases getting denied. Matter of fact, the four cases in front of me got denied. 
uh, influenced my eyes. And some of the people, some of men, one man actually got, even, they even cry on the side. They, they're begging for the visa. They say, what, what have I done? What, how can I go to America? Because I got a job. And they hired me. What should I do? How can I represent my case better? But I'm not sure um, those of you who actually had those experiences, it's not a pleasant experience. It's a very scary, you know, U.S. consul can be very scary people. <laughs> yeah, and they, they can be very cold. They're not bad people, of course. They're doing their job, but uh, it can be very intimidating. Usually I don't get um, nervous in front of people, but after seeing all these four people, four cases get denied, uh, it was my turn, right? And usually they ask uh, three typical questions. Where are you going to go? Um, where are you going to work? Uh, what is your title of your position? And third question is, why do you think that they hire you instead of another American? So I have to make the good case of it. Uh, I knew my answer for the first two questions. I knew I'm coming to Rockville, Maryland. I know I'm, I will be a psychotherapist. But third question, if he's they're going to ask me, why do you think they hire you instead of another American? I, the good answer, good answer for me to pass is because I'm a bilingual, because I'm Korean, uh, they need Korean therapist uh, for Korean patient. But it was a lie. They're not offering this position because I'm Korean. So I didn't want it to lie. Uh, my, my answer was, if, if, if he's ever going to ask me that question, my answer would, be, would have been this. Because God provided. I don't know why they hired me. Because I'm less qualified. I'm not, I don't know why they hired me. They're, they're um, going all this process. They're sponsoring me, which is about $20,000 loss for the hospital. And I don't even know why they're hiring me. But it's all God. That was my answer. Uh, that would have been my answer. So he asked me the first two questions. Um, so my second answer was, I'm going to be a psychotherapist. And before he asked me the, the last question, he said, you know what? I need therapy. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> and I said, anytime. <laughs> you know where I'm going to work. So you can, matter of fact, we do, we do have some cases of uh, Department of State, so you can come anytime. <laughs> uh, that was it. He didn't ask me the last question. And he was typing something in the, his screen. And after a long pause, he said, your visa has been approved. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is happening. And so I said, thank you. And he said, good luck. But I wanted to say this to him, but I didn't say it, but I just kept it to myself. But I said, good luck. There's no luck here. It's all God. God's providence. <laughs> So while, while I was in Korea, I visited this church. Um, um, uh, but throughout these two weeks, uh, the, this was our key verse to hold on to. Me and Jocelyn and my parents and uh, even Pastor Pete, he knows, and all, all my friends, we prayed on this verse based on this uh, prayer. This is the, coming from the Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will regard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
Yes, I was very anxious because um, I wasn't know what's going to happen to our family. Um, and even though my interview was passed, I, I got visa stamp, and there was la last step that I have to come go through the immigration, right? <laughs> uh, so it's the whole process I was being anxious. In immigration, at the airport, in DC uh, airport, I was handing up, you saw the picture, right? I handed four passport, two of the Korean passport, two of the US passport. You know, immigration officer, he doesn't even look at the US passport. I gave it to them and this is for my children. I said, okay, he didn't even look at the picture. <laughs> so where's your passport? Okay, this is mine. He, he went through uh, a good 10 minutes. He didn't ask, ask any question. He's just flipping off. Or he's just checking all pages and all, all fingerprinted, everything. And he said, what is your job? I said, I'll be a, I'll be a psychotherapist. I said, oh, okay, that was it. Even that moment, I know God is in control, but as a human being, I was anxious and nervous. However, this passage gave me um, great comfort because God's understanding surpasses all understandings. Um, God gave me a um, second confirmation that he's in control. So while, in, while I was in Korea in uh, second week, second Sunday of August, we went to this church, the church where uh, Jocelyn's parents attend. And the pastor was preaching um, on 1 Peter 5, verse 6 to 7. It says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hands of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And verse 7 says, Casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Um, his sermon wasn't a great sermon, uh, to be honest. It wasn't exegetical. It was much more like topical sermon. And he was just here and there. And his main idea was just don't worry, be happy. God is in control. And I wasn't sure where he's coming from. He's like, well, what kind of sermon is that? I mean, you know, as a, as a seminary training, as a pastor, I was think, being prideful, I guess. However, one of the references that he used was Philippians chapter 4, 6, 7. The, verse, the very same verse that I'm, I'm holding on to it. When he, when he referencing this verse, just there's a tear in my eyes. God is confirming me once again with this passage. So after service, I came up to him. I said, Pastor, I don't know why you preached, but that was for me. I think God wanted to hear this and he said this he said you know what from two weeks before I knew God wanted me to preach this passage but I didn't want it to because this, this passage this, this it doesn't apply to our congregation we are rich church none of them are just compared to other people they're not they don't have that much worries they're well off I don't even know why I had to preach these sermons I, I was asking God God why do you want me to preach on this why can't I preach, you know, first Mark or the Mark or Matthew or John? Why, why first Peter and Philippians? And God reminded him there would be one person, at least one person, who need to hear this. And and pastor said it was you. And thank you for coming to my church because I'm preaching this for you. How God, God is amazing. Through this, so God is good, and all the time. And this is the truth. If God is good, because I got my visa, 
God is good because I'm here now. God is good because I'm making money and I'm getting this job. It's not a God that we serve, right? Our God is good all the time. And I'm saying this because God is good not just because what he does for me and for you, but God is good because who he is. The very verse that this is my life verse is from Isaiah 43. Wherever you go, wherever I go, God is with us. Wherever I'm here, God is with me. If I'm in Korea, God is with me. Yes, now I'm lefting everything behind in Korea, right? And as you, as you guys know, it's not a good time in Korea. <laughs> the missiles coming here and there, everywhere. <laughs> and everybody is threatening one another to, um, um, to start war. But yet, I know that God is in control and God is good all the time. So once again, I thank you so much for your prayer and your support. Uh, and your prayer, always, our prayer, sincere prayer, always um, there's answer for that prayer. So again, I'm asking you to pray, uh, for, not just for our church, but for, for my country in Korea. North Korea. Uh, let's even pray for Kim Jong-un, right? I mean, he's the one who needs the most of God. Amen? And let's pray for our president, President Trump, so that God will give him wisdom and strength uh, so that he will lead this great country of America. Once again, thank you for welcoming me. And now I'm home. Live a life worthy of our calling.